0: If you have struggled to create good, fulfilling relationships, even after you've done a lot of work on yourself, and you might even be a psychology nerd like me, this clip is for you. Hey, Adele Wong here, and welcome to the podcast where we explore all things around creating a life that truly works in your life, your relationships, and your livelihood. And I think we can all agree that for a a rocking life, the quality of your relationships is so essential. There's even been some research that came out of Harvard University very recently, this month, I believe, um, that confirmed what most of us might already intuitively know. It was a longitudinal study over 80 years tracking some high-performer graduates of Harvard University. Over 80 years. And the researchers were really curious on what is it that has people create happier lives. Like, what is the magical sauce to happiness? And the results were pretty clear that it really wasn't how much money people made or even things like health. Although those two things are important, by far the number one thing that could predict how happy someone would be in life was the quality of their relationships. Not necessarily quantity, but quality. So I'm going to share with you something that is bleeding edge that you have probably never heard of before. Even if you've been reading a lot of self-help or studying psychology, this is truly some new work that has come in, that I feel so privileged to have been working with someone who's on the forefront of this and have been using it for myself and it has informed me tremendously in understanding my relationships, improving my relationships, and has also helped in my work with clients and helping them understand what's going on. And this has to do with your relationship to power and i know i know typically when i say that word people cringe a lot of times people give me a look of horror because in this culture we've been raised to think that culture is that power is a bad thing maybe you have been the unfortunate victim of power that's been misused Uh, Maybe you've turned away from this, as this is a bad thing, it's shameful. But I just want you to just sit with what I'm going to share with you today. You may need to listen to this a couple times to embrace what I'm trying to convey. That power is, is an energetic flow that is in the room with you and anyone else, whether you know it or not. It is an energy that's already in the room. And by becoming a little bit more curious and attuned to which power dynamic might be going on, it'll save you a lot of heartache, frustration, um, confusion in, in what's going on in your interactions, in your engagements with people, so that you can create better more fulfilling relationships. And what by power, I, I want you to just avoid, you know, I'm not talking about the power of people being in office or something like that. It, it's an energy that is already in the room. And I'm going to take a side note to help you see this by taking you on a tour into um, the, na- the natural world, nature that animals already have an intuitive, instinctive awareness of this energy between them, that it's instinctive to them, and they know how to use it in such a way that everyone is taken care of, that it is a dynamic that's used to strengthen the the pack of wolves or the tribe or uh, the community, that it is natural as breathing. And it's only humans that, due to our funky cultural um, programming, we have lost um, our instinctive awareness of this dynamic. And as a result, we are now trying to use a lot of psychological lens to explain and understand and analyze things. But... Even the most intense analysis from the psychological lens cannot replace an awareness of an energetic that's in the room in terms of your experience, your everyday experience with yourself and with others. So, in nature, um, animals, which we are, we are an animal, we can learn from them this. So, let's take example of wolves, for example, or dogs. And as I tell you this story, I want you to just sort of feel into it that um, there is an analogy um, that's um, similar for humans, that if you have a pack of wolves, um, the first energetic dance, of which there are three, the first dance is the one of not surprisingly, being a puppy. A puppy comes into this world and is totally unaware of anything outside of what's going on. It has no sense of self. Life is just an intense experience of the moment, of sensation. It doesn't know why things are the way they are and it's totally involved with sensation and receiving the moment and hopefully there is a mama dog around, holding this puppy in her energetic field, that a puppy needs to be held, an infant needs to be held in a container of something greater than themselves to kind of hold them together, because it's kind of an intense experience here on planet Earth. And that this being held, you might imagine that it's, it's kind of like being a, a kangaroo and you're the baby in the kangaroo pouch. That you're being held by a presence greater than your own because you don't have one yet. And at this stage as a puppy, all you can do is allow yourself to be fed, clothed, nursed. That there is a mama dog around you cradling and holding you and is very attentive to your needs. And that when you cry because you're terrified or you need to be changed, that there is a call and response. You send out a cry and the container around you, the pouch, the mama dog or a human noticed and sends back a response of whatever it is that you might need to be changed, to be fed, that you're cold, whatever. And that's how you start to develop a sense of existing. And as you get older, the puppy starts to learn, hot darn, I can run around. I've got mobility. I don't need to be in this pouch all the time. I can use my little furry legs. And it starts to develop its teeth, its milk teeth. And at this phase in development, it's motoring, and it's developing a sense of its bite snap ability, which is an ability to kind of snap at the world and bite into this piece of chicken and run around and it starts to poke at mom with, I want this and I want that and maybe I can run across the street without looking both ways or whatever and it's poking into mom. A puppy in the wild starts to suckle on mom a little bit too hard with its milk teeth and mom goes, oh, oh my gosh. That, that's a little bit hard because that is how puppies start to learn about their milk teeth, about their strength, that they bite into something, mom maybe, and mom says, oh, yeah, don't do that. And so the puppies develop a sense of their own strength. They also develop an awareness that they can poke into mom and that she won't just collapse and be distraught and miserable that she has the wherewithal to allow herself to be poked, you know, and to help and a sense of being course corrected. Like, you know, it's not a good idea to stick the fork into the wall socket just because you think it fits there. That there is an ability to hold this growing pup that's biting and snapping at the world, um, doing all kinds of nonsensical things, and, and still be present as a container, the container's just a little bit bigger now. It's not necessarily having to be so close to the body like you're in a pouch in the kangaroo, but maybe it's bigger now. An energetic container that you can bang around in and fight against, maybe it's something like a curfew. It's a set of expectations. It's bigger now and you're just poking against mom and mom is instead of collapsing out of a sense of, oh my gosh, how could you do this to me? There's a curiosity to say, I want to know why you disagree. Tell me more. I may not agree, but we can negotiate. I want you to develop your bite and snap, your voice. I want you to learn to be able to run through the forest faster and come back and be in time for dinner. That's part of the natural development of a pup. That it develops the ability to bite, snap, and not just suckle. It's an outward energy. It starts to go out into the world and see if, what it can make happen while still being in some sort of container. And also developing a sense that it is totally okay to snarl at the world. And as this pup matures, um, it develops uh, a sense of its own sovereignty. Not because it knows it can bite and snap, it's not the end of the world. And not surprisingly, it develops into a full grown wolf who can then have the capacity to be a mama dog to her own pups because she now understands the full dance of energy. She's been a pup and she stepped into her bite snap against mama dog, and it didn't scare her, nobody died. And now she's ready to take on the world and nurse the next generation. And along this process, um, maybe this pup might have also had siblings as they're running through the forest. Not only is this pup practicing bite snap against mom, it is also learning to negotiate with its siblings, the other puppies in the litter. Um, and in human terms, we might talk about this as peers, colleagues, friends. That at this dynamic, you're not the puppy being nursed along. You're not the mama dog nursing the pup. You are dealing with an equal. Um, and what's it like to be able to play with your your sibling in the litter? And fight over a piece of chicken, run through the forest, tussle on the ground, snarl at each other, and then just high five. Let's go home and lick each other's fur and snuggle a bit. That is the dynamic of peer development. Now, I guess I don't need to tell you that in our culture, the second phase is sorely lacking. And it's related because... Um, we are a culture that this natural bite and snap has been sorely discouraged. We have mama dogs that were never able to learn their own bite snap rhythm. You know, they, they, this is a very scary thing that we have mama dogs raising puppies and tell, and because they were raised that any sort of conflict, disagreement, um, non-compliance, or talking back um, was seen as a bad thing. It was shameful. You, it, whether it's some sort of cultural conditioning of you should be, children should be seen and not heard, or do as you're told, or you know what's, whatever, people have different ideas of what being disrespectful means, or not respecting hierarchy. Our culture is really big on these messages And what's happened is the second half of being a puppy, after the suckling stage, that got shut down. Whether it was you had parents that just really discouraged you from taking a stand and saying what you wanted, um, saying what you meant, if that was seen as um, just bad, but puppies learned real early to not show their bite snap. To not step into that flex, that that is shameful. Whether it's, it could be something in the environment. Oh my gosh, mom and dad are fighting all the time about money. I dare not use my bite snap and ask for a bicycle for my birthday. So I'm just going to be quiet. Or it could have been, um, there could have been substance abuse. Well gosh, dad is raging out of control. And if I talk back, it's going to get worse. So let me just hold my bite snap back. Can you feel into this? Or it could have been abuse. How dare you do that? Or it could have been a flavor of a, a mama dog who's so weak in her own bite snap that when her pups bite snap at her of what they want or a disagreement, it becomes how could you do this to me? After all I've done for you, how could you do this to me? Is this what you, what, is this, is this how you treat your mother? That any sort of bite snap was seen as bad. Just shut down that impulse in the puppies. And it's no wonder now that you have mama dogs that are absolutely terrified of any sort of bite snap energy. If it's coming at them in any sort of conflict, there's, you know, there's there's fear. We cannot have this. Let's just not fight. Conflict is bad. I don't want the puppies to fight. I'm, I'm just checked out. I've left the room or I've become a martyr. Can you feel into this? So the question becomes, are you a pup needing some attention? And we are all pups at some point in, lo- in life. It has nothing to do with physical age. And I'm going to share this in the next clip with some examples. So you can see how and why these dances have gotten very messy in our culture. And it's causing tremendous stress in friendships, in business, and in parenting. Because if you're not clear on these dances, your energetic relationship with people will be very messy and confusing. So in our culture as i said the bite snap response is seen as bad um and as a result people don't know how to bite and snap in their relationships with peers you know if you are in, uh, if you notice that you don't really have friends that know you fully that or or you're somebody who's very afraid of conflict in the workplace you know you're willing to do anything except have an uncomfortable uh, conversation because you don't know how to bite snap. You never learned how to do that. This is why so many people run from conflict. And there is a folk myth that conflict is bad. It's negative. I'm here to say that the fear of conflict or, or labeling conflict as bad, that is the main negativity, not the conflict itself. In fact, conflict is an opportunity for negotiation. And if people don't know how to do it, it's not their fault. This is where I take a stand on some of the pop psychology where the the mantra seems to be, you know, standing up for yourself, um, protecting your boundaries, be you, be empowered. And I agree, but that's the what I'm more interested in the how, right? That's where I would encourage everybody listening to put your focus there. Because if you think the what is the how and you don't know how, all that happens is people end up feeling very ashamed, discouraged, and depressed. They know what they should do, what they're supposed to do, to stand up for themselves, but they just can't quite do it. They never were allowed to find their milk teeth, or they show their milk teeth, bite snap a couple times, and mom just slapped them aside the head. And they learned very early on, don't you ever do that. Or they learned that when they did talk back to mom, mom collapsed in a series of, oh my gosh, how could you do this to me? And then you, you as a little pup wound up trying to mother dog the mother dog. This is classic. And this is why we have a lot of people trying to parent their own parents. And in order in in doing that, they've lost track of their own bite snap. So this is why if you have been going through life feeling like you're the one that's the mama dog for everybody else, you're the one that everyone tells their problems to, you're the one that everybody comes to with their problems, they expect you to help them, notice the energy in your body. There might be a part of you that sort of gets off on the pride, you know, because there is something useful to contributing, but I cannot tell you how many high-performing clients I have that are at the same time resentful, exhausted, totally depleted from, because they are trying to be the mother dog to peers, their spouses, their friends, their colleagues, and it doesn't work. Why? Why? because it's not the right power dynamic. When you are talking to a colleague, the, the relationship of power should be one of more um, same level. Nobody is a mama dog in that situation. You might be two puppies in the same litter, except you're both 30 years old or whatever. Um, that the mama dog energy um, has its place but if you are used to mothering everybody, it's going to cause a lot of resentment. Because on one hand, um, you know, it's kind of sending a signal to other people that on, you subconsciously, you sort of need to be needed. Or you don't think they can handle things on their own and you're giving unsolicited advice. And as a mother, mother dog, unsolicited, maybe you're a little bit discouraged. Why do they not appreciate me? And feeling the drain, Yeah. A lot of empaths fall into this trap. They cannot understand why they're not appreciated more. And they don't realize they are trying to mama dog people that didn't ask for it. What is more appropriate, at least 50-75% of the time, is a peer-to-peer engagement. And a lot of people don't know how to do that. That a peer-to-peer dance, the second tier of relationship, is very different than being a puppy or the mama dog. And this is where people struggle with conflict. And if you are a people pleaser, this is where it's most noticeable. You may end up with friends that forever you're forever trying to help them. Or you may up men end up marrying somebody who starts to feel like you're taking care of them, like their mother, and you can feel the resentment. I do all this for you. When is it going to be my turn? And it's very unsexy to have a marriage that feels more like what you really want is a king queen energy of peers of wrestling with each other over the piece of chicken, rolling around in the dirt and running home and high five and let's have a beer. That that the bite snap doesn't feel like, oh my God, it's the end of the relationship, we're gonna get divorced. And same thing with friendships. If you have friendships where everyone is working so hard to not offend, chances are there's a part of you that nobody knows. There's a part of you that will always see things differently than somebody else because there's somebody else. And is there a stamina to to bring that, to show that, whether it's differences of opinion or does that feel like, oh my God? What typically happens is, since we're a culture that is so conflict avoidance, any sort of dissent is treated as negative. It's judged. What's your problem? You know? And then people resort to one of two things. Without knowing how to work bite snap, without some confidence that a relationship is not immediately over if you disagree, then we have things like people just cut each other off. Um, There's estrangement. There's going no contact. People, quote unquote, just sort of drift away and you never know what happened. Now, there are times where relationships do need to move on. But I can't tell you in my work with many high-performing clients, they struggle with this. They feel like everything's got to go hunky-dory with their friendships, or there's a distancing. And I ask them, is that what you want? And sometimes there's a feeling that, well, distancing is more peaceful. And I ask, well, is that what you want? Well, it's just easier. Yes, but is that what you want? And inevitably, there is a yearning, there's a sadness inside that no, that wasn't really what I wanted. But I just didn't know how to tell them that that comment was upsetting. Or I would have preferred XYZ. I didn't want to come across complaining. I didn't want to be the one that brings everyone down. Yeah? Can you feel how this whole bite and snap has been judged as negative, bad, less evolved? Similarly, if you're a parent and you never embrace your own bite snap, what will happen is as your puppies, children try to bite snap, you will bite snap and just cut their heads off. You will take it out on them, your frustration, your exhaustion, your your sense of not being a good mom, and the pups just get scared silent. And you might notice their bite snap goes away. And on the one hand, you might think this is a good thing. I'm here to tell you it's not. So what do we do? The question now becomes, all right, we have a culture that has disempowered this whole dynamic of the bite snap. We're real good on being nurturing and understanding and accepting. But how are we on the pushback, especially with differences in power? differences in authority figures, differences when you have, who is the puppy in the room? You know, are you hold, are you the puppy that is being held? Are you peers? Or are you the mama dog? A lot of people go around life mother dogging everybody and they can't realize a lot of people don't know the difference. Of course, You love your friends. And of course you love your husband. But it's a different expression of that love between mama dog versus peer. And a lot of women don't know the difference. And they end up drained because it's like you're doing one dance for everything. And a lot of people, if some people were never even able to embrace the first part of being a puppy, of just being held. Some people didn't even have that. And there's a sense of, you know, while I'm sort of in this life by myself, I I cried once for for food, water, or attention. No one paid attention. You know, I'm just going to sit over here. I feel like a potted plant as a child and life was just going by. And fast forward 20 years from now, life is, I'm just an observer of my life. Is this familiar to you? I'm describing an energy, not a whole psychological theory. Or you might be someone that early on you noticed no one gave you the time of day. And you learned early on that, dang it, for this thing to work, it's all on me. It's all on me that, you know, I'm in this life all by myself. I've got to fight for everything by myself. And there's this overly aggressive energy that I can't count on anyone being my pouch I can't count on peers. I can't count on mama dog. I'm in this by myself and I got to fight. Maybe you know someone like this. And underneath that, there's a deep sadness. So we need both dances of being able to be nurtured and the bite snap. So this brings us back to the question of what to do, right? And in this podcast, I want share with, to share with you ideas Some of them you may not agree with, some you can kick around. But what do you do when you were raised by a mama dog who collapsed at the first sign of you speaking out or did the guilting or or was checked out due to substance abuse or you had an abusive person that just beat you up when you dared to take a stand for what you wanted and you learned very early on to not flex don't ever get angry. I am the nicest person I know. I'm not angry at all. And the energy system down there is seething. Or maybe you fall into depression more than anger, because that's what that, the energy's got to go somewhere. And if anger is not allowed, which is that bite snap energy, well, you'd probably be depressed. There is an offshoot now of the third dance I mentioned the mama dog that we have a lot of wounded mama dogs running around trying to nurture everybody, but they don't know bite snap themselves. Every mama dog needs a mama dog. In what I mean by this is, in previous cultures, you didn't really have things like therapists or coaches or anything like that. You had what was known as elders. There were people in the community that could hold and be a pouch for a mama dog to work something out or to hold a place to go with two peers, puppies in the same litter that are fighting, can't figure it out. Let's, let's get some help from an elder. That's the natural order. Sometimes in our culture, there's a sense of, well, you're on your own figuring it out to duke it out with that person. But sometimes what's needed, especially when both parties are stuck, is an elder who can hold a container and help people with their bite snap, so people don't just destroy each other and cut each other's jugular. So this elder has a role of holding space for mama dogs so they don't bite and snap and destroy their puppies, but they can bite and snap with the elder who has seen a lot of bite and snap, who has raised puppies, who has the wisdom of what has worked, what hasn't. And this is why a community is so healthy of whether it's a pack of dogs, they understand this intuitively. You've got the alpha dog, you've got the omega dog, you've got the dog in the middle. Neither is better or worse, but they understand power and they use it in such a way so that everyone in the pack of wolves is protected. Everyone is nurtured. Everyone knows where they can go to get what they need. And everyone has something to contribute. There's no one just bumping along by themselves. And this is an intuitive awareness. My hope is that humans, since we are animals, we can reclaim some of this. So if you can just be curious about these three dances, it is a different feeling in the body It's not just a psychological concept. And just know that in any interaction with people, there is this dynamic happening in the room. Who is holding space for who? Who is the mama dog? Who might be the puppy? This is especially true in business. But it might not go the way you expect. Right now, things are a little bit backwards. Um, Maybe you're dealing with a peer, you know, do you know how to negotiate with a peer without every disagreement, feeling like the, the, the friendship is at stake? You know, can we disagree wholeheartedly without killing each other? Maybe you are the mama dog and it is your role to hold space for others. That means you're not dumping your stuff on them. There's an intuitive awareness when you ping the energetic field. This isn't the right forum for you. That you need your own elder. So, this is something um, to sit with, um, have a think about. When relationships have gotten tangled, it's usually because there's been some confusion, some messiness between these three dances. That um, you know, where are we? You know, wh- what is the boundary here? And it can lead to people feeling guilty the ambiguity in the room, people don't feel safe, because what dance are we doing here? And this is not about artificially imposing, oh, you're this, or you're that. It's already happening naturally. And it always has been here. We're just bringing more awareness to it so that you know what might be useful for you and and how to be in relationship and what kind of relationships you're creating. Are all your friends basically your unpaid clients? That was my history earlier on. My friends were basically, I was basically their therapist. I just wasn't paid for it. But I thought that was what friends did. I did not have an understanding of true peer, colleague, coworker energy. I only knew how to hold other people's space. And internally, I was exhausted. And I thought, well, this is just the way it is. This is just life. This is my purpose in life, and it's not. So be curious. I'll be sharing more about this concept. I know this episode was probably a little headier than some, but I hope to uh, come on here and give you some real-life examples so you can sit in and go, Oh, I get it. Yeah, that has happened to me too, when I didn't know where the boundary was because I wasn't sure which dance we were doing. Okay? So share this, subscribe, share this with a friend that might be sitting with, why am I always solving other people's problems? When is it going to be my turn? Or parents that are feeling guilty all the time, that they're not able to parent the way they want, or someone who's feeling estranged. Um, This may be useful for them. Okay, till next time. Thanks.